0: Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tan and Grace. As always, enjoyed by Ross Merriam. And uh, who's this handsome devil? Uh, that's me, Tan. I'm always here.
1: Yeah, I'm, oh, that's still Ross. Sure I'm sorry. Ross.
0: Yeah, that's not not sure it's Ross. Well, you, you both have beards and stuff. I don't know. You look similar to me. So if anybody just heard that voice, that is Aspiring Spike, as everybody knows him on MTGO. Uh, very famous grinder, I guess is the way we could put it, because you you do get pretty competitive. But you've been streaming a lot lately, right?
1: Yeah, for the last, I think, eight months or so, I've been on the streaming grind, and it's it's been a blast.
0: Yeah, like, okay, I, I'm going to start grilling you with some questions right away. So, what made you, like, want to start doing it, and when did you have, like, your first big break? Because, to me, from the outside looking in, I remember watching you, and you were, like, a little bit of a smaller streamer, and then all of a sudden, you just kind of blew up.
1: Well, honestly, the biggest push was my girlfriend telling me I should just stream, because I, I play so much Magic online. And I just had other encouragement from for, from friends, and I, I started doing it. And I, I think my first big break was I was one of the first people playing Ren and Six and Jund on okay on on Moto and just on streaming in general. And people love that kind of that kind of stuff, you know.
2: And yeah, people do love dopey Midrange range decks.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah,
0: yeah. So so you were quote unquote Jund guy, and that was your thing. Yeah,
1: that that was my thing, and I I was kind of scared to branch off from it for for a while because even though like. I'm not really even much of a Jund player. Like that was like I felt like why people were coming to the channel. But eventually, I branched out into just other, other brews. And like as soon as Stoneforge Mystic got unbanned and Faithless Looting got banned, that's when you could start brewing in Modern again. So I think that's when I started to get maybe known for more brewing and, and Modern because it became possible for the first time in a while.
2: Yeah, there was that brief period where like sort of anything went, and then then Oko happened.
0: <laughs> okay i got a couple follow-up questions real quick because it's very important uh we got we got to check your Jun guy creds um did you play it in paper
1: uh i have played it in paper i didn't own it in paper but i've played it at a few tournaments Ooh, that's, that's i think it's a strike one. It.
0: Two, two, ooh, two. was it foil or non-foil
1: non-foil Ooh. oh for two yeah oh for it's a, two
2: we're off to a rough start
1: yeah i don't don't fall into the stereotype sadly <laughs>
0: So even he knows it, we didn't have to bring it up. Yeah, I have you know.
1: met many Jund guys and they're all cookie cutters of the same person.
0: <laughs> okay, let's uh, Jund people. Or Jund person. How about gen, that? Let's call Jund person. i feel
1: like guys, Jindrol Nuture. Gen, Just call uh, them Junders.
0: Junders, there we go. Welcome to the Junder Dome, right? Is that the isn't that the one they did for they for the painting or whatever randomly? But But, yeah, all right, cool. Uh, Good solid start to the show. So, I was going to say, I was actually watching you. uh, I wasn't watching it live. I was watching a repeat of it, of a stream that you were doing today with another deck that you've kind of like uh, brewed up a little bit. And actually, I love this deck. And I know we're not a modern podcast, but we could talk about modern a little bit. This deck today is pretty cool and looks like it actually has some pretty big game against a lot of the decks that are popular right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the old Grixis control list that I was playing when Throne of Eldraine came out, but it, it's just that deck that's not... I, I cut the red. I think Lightning Bolt is a lot worse than Push at the moment, because you need to be able to kill Urza and the new Dryad of the Groves. Um, and when Bolt's not good, I don't, I didn't really see a lot of reason to be Grixis, and then being straight, straight two colors lets you play uh, four Field of Ruins more Mystic Sanctuaries, Archmaid's Charm. It, it, it all has come together really smoothly, and the deck's been performing well.
2: So you're just playing a Demir Control deck? Is that what's going yeah, on?
1: Yeah, Demir Control deck, um, it's like the one really spicy thing is I'm playing like three Shadow of Doubts in the main deck, but I'm also playing, you know, Drown in the Locks and Into the Story as the card advantage engine, which is great with Mystic Sanctuary, just great when you're thought-scouring your opponent, and it's, it, that's probably my favorite card to cast in modern.
2: I do love me some Shadow of Doubt. That's one of those cards that just, it feels so good when you get them.
1: Yeah, I, I got to Shadow of Doubt a Summoner's pack today, which is great because that card still resolves, but they just don't get to tutor anything, and then they have to pay four on their next turn.
0: I wish everybody could see my face when you said that. But, by the way, spoilers, because yeah. I haven't gotten to that
2: part, part of the stream yet. I think Tannen's going to load like up said, Magic Online oh yeah, during spoilers. the
0: cast. <laughs> just... I'm, What's that I, list I again? I swear to y'all. Yeah, I, I swear to you on everything that is holy. Um, I it, I wish I could show you all my screen on the other on the other uh, monitor right now. I still have a TCG player pulled up with uh, with uh, God, uh Shadow of Doubts the for the price because I was like I don't know if I own three and you have three in your list so I was like I might have to order another one or two. Um, I am worried about, you know, they uh, since we can tie this into Pioneer a little bit, they announced today that there's going to be a... It's the announcement of announcement, the typical Wizards thing, that there's going to be a banning next week. And it, do you think this is a deck that has legs if they ban something like Primeval Titan?
1: Uh Yeah, I would say so, because even though, like, y- you're main decking a lot of things to hedge against Primeval Titan, I think control decks are kind of inherently not favored in those matchups. And I think, you know, the list is playing things to skew in that direction. But I think if primeval titan or once upon a time got banned it, it would make the control archetypes just better overall
0: all right we're gonna uh go back to that at uh, what i'm about to say at the end of the show to make sure everybody gets it but let's go ahead and say it now what is your twitter and your twitch so people can check this out so they can see the deck list that we're talking about we'll also put links in the show notes
1: sure uh my my twitch is twitch.tv slash aspiring spike just those two words smushed together my my handle on twitter is aspiring spike but my actual so or my I don't even know what you call it. Display name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Display name is Aspiring Spike, but the actual handle is Mohan Evert, which is my last name followed by my first name. And uh, probably just best to click the link on that one, because it's just two weird names smushed together.
0: You're findable on Twitter if you just put it in Aspiring Spike. Yeah, I, I believe I, so.
1: I actually own the Aspiring Spike Twitter handle, and I don't, I don't even know why I started posting to the other one. I think it was a little before I started streaming. Um, but I, 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 I actually own both handles, but I the other one doesn't have any followers. I think people, I think the other one comes up first.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it's, it branding is important. You want to make sure you steer into that and stuff. So, uh, definitely stick with the aspiring spike one. So, all right, let's go ahead
2: and Tana would know about steering into his own branding. Yeah, Cause
0: like, here's the thing. I, originally I wasn't the Tana grace like on, on Twitter or anything. That's why I still have non the in front of things <laughs> on certain stuff. And then one day, uh, someone just started calling me that it started sticking so, it's it's uh, great.
1: I think it's just because Tan and Grace is a great name, and then the Tan oh, and okay. Grace like it's like a title.
0: Br- brown nosing will get you everywhere. I, I love it. Keep keep it up. Uh, yeah, I, I was supposed to say I think Todd Anderson likes to take credit for it, but I'm not sure it was actually him that started it. But I mean, we'll we'll just let him have I, it. I wouldn't be surprised if, not, if it
2: was him.
1: It sounds yeah, like it, something he'd say.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. If not, he might throw a fit. So I don't want to I don't want to piss him off or whatever. But uh, so. Back to Pioneer a little bit, I was actually pretty excited to have you on the cast because um, it's funny, you get talked about quite a bit in our Discord, like your deck list and stuff, the the things that you either champion as being cool decks or that you built and brewed up yourself that aren't necessarily... It's not saying that you can't do it, but not necessarily like the tier one super competitive decks, like not inverter, you know, kind of thing, like not Lotus Breach. But like, you know, I've seen you mess around with, you know, uh, mono blue devotion, mono red devotion, uh, this new mono green deck we're going to talk about quite a bit in a minute and things like that. What kind of like led you there? Did you do you try to mix competitive with fun?
1: Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I've, I've always kind of said to myself, if I stop having fun with magic, I'll stop playing it. So having fun is a really important part of the game to me, and I think you can absolutely have fun while still being competitive. I, I think a lot of non-tier-1 decks are always going to be viable at tournaments if you feel like you have a good reason to be playing them. I, I usually don't play these, these brews or these tier-2 decks unless I feel like they are attacking the metagame from a very specific angle that's beneficial. Like the, the Karn decks most recently... I think Karn the Great Crater is really good against Inverter and Breach, and so that's why I was trying to brew around it, first with Mono Black Devotion and then uh, Mono...
2: Um, So, you know, with you having this kind of brand built where, like, you know, you're playing decks that are brews and maybe aren't, you know, at the exact top of the metagame, but you're playing them with a competitive purpose, you know, um, was that, I guess, is that something that you consciously decided to put in. I know, like, you know, you said you want to be having fun while doing it, but it does conveniently align with your name of Aspiring Spike, right?
1: Yeah, it, it it is definitely a conscious effort. I I don't ever play a brew on stream unless I think it's at least kind of good. And I've always, I always test them before I stream them. And I, I think that that adds a lot to the brand. And like, if people see an interesting stream title, and the, if they think I'm a consistent, you know, brewer, they'll, they'll know that what I'm playing is at least not complete garbage. Um it, it it is it is like definitely a conscious decision to do that, but it's also just kind of naturally how I've always approached magic and how I've always approached building decks, and I think it just kind of coincidentally is a really good way to stream magic.
2: Okay. So you say this is the way that you've always approached things. I'm kind of interested in your just overall magic history. You know, you're recently on the scene here as a streamer, said in the last 8 months. Um, but like what is your longer history with magic and in particular you know paper magic
1: yeah so i started playing magic in return to ravnica the return to ravnica pre-release was my very first magic event and it's really nice because pioneer is just my entire history of magic nice, um, yeah. i didn't start playing competitively until a couple of years later the first like my first competitive event was a modern PPTQ where I played Grixis Delver and I won the event. And then two weeks later, I decided to drive up to GP Oklahoma City. This is the event. This is the one where Zach Elsik won with lantern control. And I, I, I look back on this event very fondly because Andrew Solano um, and Zach Elsik both top eighted and Solano beat me for my winning into top eight. It was the first GP I ever played in. And I didn't, I didn't know any of these people going into the tournament but they would all later become you know good friends of mine as i became you know more of a member of like the dallas fort worth community um and then like after that i got into like legacy and standard and i you know, i've grinded the gp and the rptq circuit i um i played two pro tours i have i had like decent finishes at both like I top 32 the the Pro Tour Twenty Five with Zach Same. Elsick and Mickey Humphreys. I've got like an SCG that's a gas top team, eight. by the way. Yeah, it, it was a great team. Uh, we started off 02. It's, it's like a whole other story, but uh, like I, will I'll, I'll tell? Did, it.
0: did you did you have like the crazy thing like we did because we we started off like 02. I think we like three foured into six one or something like that.
1: Um, I, I can't. It's been it's been a while now. Uh, but like. I remember I think we finished like X and five or X and six total uh, between like day one and two, um, but but just like after it was round three and like I had to win. I was playing Storm against Mono Red Prison, and my opponent had Chalice on zero, Chalice on one, Trinisphere, and they were casting a Blood Moon. And I, I was able to to win the game by, by like floating mana, abrupt decaying the moon, uh, decaying the Trinisphere the next turn, and then like winning with just Cabal Rituals and Ad Nauseum. Uh, it It's nice. so like nice. I just like refused to lose that game. Refused to start O three, and we we rallied back, and we we did lose our last round, which would have re-queued us for the PT, and like would have probably been a top eight. Although it was cut to top four at that event. But uh, but yeah, I've got an SCG open top eight. I I don't honestly grind paper magic very often. It's kind of difficult to travel to events being in the Dallas area a lot of them are like on the east coast and some on the west and I, I always play in the ones in the Dallas area but I maybe travel to one event a year that's not that's not local so that that's it's kind of all over the place but that's a, a history of me as a as a magic player I guess we're,
2: we're going to have to get you at the the jazz club in the next uh Dallas Fort Worth Yeah, the Open. jazz
1: club is great. I I go there <laughs> uh from time to time.
2: That is that is uh it was Jim Davis who showed me that place and now it's a... Uh... I,
1: I, it's it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. <laughs>
2: Ross is a
0: big fan, like yeah. every single time, like, you know, when we were on BCW and traveling a lot together, we'd be talking about the weekend coming up and I'd be like, hey, like, what's our plan for Dallas? Like, what's, what, are we, what are we playing? Where are we staying? He's like, I don't know, but we're doing the jazz club Saturday night, just so you know, or Sunday night. I, I booked my flight
2: Monday, so we'd have time to, you know, <laughs> enjoy this thing. It's like, that's all he cared about. I don't even you know? I don't even really like jazz that much. I just like the atmosphere and going down an elevator into a, into a club. It's great.
0: Oh, you have to take an elevator down. That's actually kind of cool. And it's like (laughs) in an an alleyway
1: and there's a bouncer and there's an elevator and just go down.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I've never stayed because like I drive for Dallas events because it's only like six and a half hours or seven hours. It's the closest event to me. So I would always drive in on like Friday. And then like when I was done with the tournament on Sunday, I could get home at like midnight or one and still like have a full day the next day, you know, like still get to work and stuff. So I always, you know, made that sacrifice. But I've wanted to stay so many times. I want to. I want to check this thing out. Yeah, yeah
2: next, time. We'll, next time. we'll go
0: Saturday night next time. It's, it'll probably be packed. It's it's funny. I'm actually like more flexible now <laughs> with with the, the more rigid job. It's like it's funny. I could just be like, yeah, I'm just taking Monday off. Screw it, or whatever. Or I'm not coming in until like late Monday, So I can maybe get up early and drive, and then you know get to work or whatever. So we could we could make that work out because I'm I'm definitely looking forward to doing some of that. And uh, I want to see where Everett likes to eat. In Dallas, because the food is so good around yeah, there, but I always go to the same good. places.
1: I usually go to Magnolia Street. If you guys are ever on there, it's like a, it's like on, it's on the edge of downtown. It's kind of quieter. There's lots of like good restaurants and like kind of quieter bars over there.
0: I'm sure we've been there. I don't remember the name of it because like you know we've done our whole like traveling around. But every time I'm there, I go to the same places. I go to like uh, Velvet Taco, if we can get to it. If not, we go to Torchies. But I like Velvet better. And then um, what was the name of that? burger place it was like rodeo goat
1: yeah rodeo goat is very very good very, very yeah good. but
0: that one's a little further that was like 20 30 minutes away i think or whatever but i was like it's worth it that place was great uh good vegetarian options too if you want to eat you know not meat and stuff in there so huge fan of that stuff we could talk about food in dallas forever, yeah let's for sure. do it <laughs> i know right
1: that could be uh that could be my expertise right here
2: well yeah we try to do that as much as we can on the show that so. is an important part of all of our expertise <laughs> every yeah. time Part of our Patreon is like posting what restaurants to go to in various cities.
1: Yeah, I, I'm always looking on Twitter whenever I travel to a city for a tournament, like the local players, what they what they say is good and what they say is bad.
0: Also, just ask Ross. <laughs> he has like he has like a, an encyclopedic rem- memory for all this shit, so like he never forgets anything and he'll tell you like what to order specifically. Like He'll be like, go to this place and get this. It's on this street. You're like, what? Awesome. That, that will save me a lot of time. It's Like no wonder you were on Jeopardy, like kind yeah, of thing.
2: Things but, just kind of stick when you when you care about something, you remember things about it, you know. Yeah, and so eating you is like
1: everything. You remember
2: everything. Yeah, e- eating is my favorite part of traveling to magic tournaments, so I remember the good restaurants.
0: Awesome. So, so is that why I forget stuff about you so much? <laughs> no, you're just old. That is that is also true. People always laugh about this. Did you know that I'm what over I'm over five years older than you, right, Ross?
3: No, I thought you were three years. Five. You're like three years older than me.
0: No, I was 36 this year, and you just turned 30, right? No, I'm 31. I'll be 32 this year. Oh, I thought you just turned 30. No. Okay,
2: so it's only four years. That's not. I thought I was five years older. Than yeah, you know.
0: I was about to be like really mad. Okay, four, I thought it was
2: three, and you thought it was five, and the, it was actually four. So you know, we're all about right. <laughs> and How old are you, Spike? I'm 25. Jesus God, Christ! So fucking cast young. over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a decade older than you. That that. You don't you don't look it.
1: You're you're aging very well.
0: Uh yeah, thank you. I'm starting to feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. Thank you again. Flattery will get you everywhere. No wonder we got you on the show. See, this is what people don't know. So he messaged me and he's like, I want to be on the show. And I was like,
1: eh, I don't yeah, know. Then we then I don't like, really so handsome, Tana. Please let me on <laughs> the show. Yeah. He's, like, I, he's, like,
0: he's like, at least once every 10 minutes, I'll drop some compliment. in yeah, organically. I, I
1: had to sign a, a very extensive compliment contract. Yeah. Flowers Dude, and a
0: puffin basket
2: to... to show up at your door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I should have signed him to an NDA so you couldn't say this on air. Damn it, I oh, should, have done my, should have done my homework on all this, but...
1: <laughs> I've, come, I've come here to expose the Pioneer cast and exactly. compliment them on stream.
0: <laughs> All right, anyway, uh, let's, let's get into something serious for a minute, and then we can go back to tangents in a little while. So there was actually a pretty big Pioneer tournament online this weekend. Other than that, there wasn't much going on, but there's the Pioneer showcase that happened online, and this is worth a little bit more than your, your average challenge that you have every Sunday. Uh, in fact, I would think this is w- worth more than, say, like a classic or some of the stuff in paper because... Uh, we were talking about this before the show. What do you need, like, 40 QP's to play in yeah, this? Yeah, I,
1: bl- I believe it's 40. It might be 35. I, I don't remember. It's exactly. a lot. Yeah.
0: W- whatever it is. It's, it's people who are specifically dedicated to playing Magical Online and playing this format. Because I was kind of unaware of, like, what a showcase meant. You know, it, just, like, it was a bigger tournament with like, a bigger buy-in. I didn't know you had to have, like, an actual qualification. Because, you know, we're talking about it. And you guys kind of laughed at me because I looked at the top eight. And I was like, holy shit, this tournament's stacked. And you're like, no, just look at the top 32, because like you have to qualify for this. Like you can't just play in it. So like this almost feels like it's a mini online Grand Prix type thing. You know what I mean? Like a very dense, uh solid one. But uh, you know, I'm looking at some of these names in the top eight, and they're all huge. And we start, we start talking a little bit about some of the decks and stuff. And uh the deck that actually won the tournament is it's still like a relative newcomer to like the competitive side of Pioneer, but this is one of the decks that me and ross have like slowly been coming around on like when we first started seeing these lists we were like oh this deck looks mopey and bad and then the more we saw it we're like oh this deck's actually pretty good it plays out well and it's also just well positioned right now that's the mono white devotion deck with like gideon tribal theme going on and how do you feel about this deck because i know you've played a lot of the uh devotion style decks where like you have the nycthos plan it's kind of like you know you can curve out normally but like if you draw nycthos your deck is insane
1: I think the deck is quite good, um, it has a surprising amount of card advantage with Raven Inspector and Arcanist Owl, it makes a lot of mana, it's pretty consistent, it plays Gideon of the Trials and Gideon's Intervention to help fight the combo decks in the main deck, and it also has a two card infinite combo, and Heliot. Ha- and both, what, what I really like about the deck is both halves of the infinite combo. Heliod and Ballista, they're both fine cards on their own. Like, Heliod is often a 3-mana 5-5 five, five indestructible, and Ballista is is walking Ballista in your Nykthos deck. And sometimes you draw both and you win the game. I, I think the deck is very good. Uh, there are a lot of players I respect a lot that think that it's the best deck in the format and that's all they've been on for, for a while now.
2: Wow. I Every time I've played with or against this deck, it has seemed rather mopey. Um, but, like, I, when I look at it on paper, it makes sense. And I haven't played a lot with it. So, uh, like, I'm, I understand where, like, you know, I'm just probably seeing, you know, some measure of variance where I get the, the low end of it. But I, I, I mean, I agree with every point you made. It really does have a lot going for it, specifically within this metagame. Um, Intervention, I think, is a recent um, addition, just because Demir Inverter is so popular uh, and so dominant. And you see, you know, two copies in the winning list from Phil Helmuth, You don't see as many in the in the list down the line, right? Like. Uh, I think there's, uh, Batchettini's list doesn't have any, they're playing the Rest in Pieces, which is what Yamakiller has been on. Um, who's championed this deck for, like, well over a month. That, that was
1: now. the player I respect that I yeah. was, I was kind of talking about. Uh, yeah. he, he, I think he's great, and I, him, him, uh, playing it as much as, I think, means the deck is good. You
0: know another, you know, uh, sorry, I was jumping around. There's another way that you can tell this deck is real. And if you look in the sideboard, there's three Glare of Heresy. And whenever we found whenever one of the solid like mono decks becomes good in Pioneer, you see people playing the like the color hate. You know, like it was uh, was it like a Chandra's Defeat when like red was the best deck when mono black was the best deck. We saw what is it? Dark Betrayal, yeah. I think is the name of the card. Yeah. You see those cards pop up and there's no there's no one mana one for white. Right. I think Glare of Heresy is the one that I don't, the
2: I don't believe so. Gl- Glare is part of the cycle with uh with Gainsay and Dark Betrayal, though defeat is part of the Amoncut cycle. There's a few cycles of, of colour hosers, um, and we just sort of pick and choose the best ones, but um No, there like the there's a lot there's really is a lot to like here. I do I think Gideon of the Trials is just great. You know, that, that card is very difficult for Jameer Inverter, very good against them. The fact that your for the combo piece you play first is also like virtually unkillable in Heliod like gives you such um, this kind of peace of mind in setting up the combo you, know, you can get the heliod down you can start building towards enough mana with walking ballista um and really not have to worry about what's going on with that um the deck is a little clunky to me and it's been helped out with the way the metagame is narrowed because i think the aggro decks often just like run it over um unless you're like early defensive creatures do something really well but like they all just sort of die to wild slash and stuff um but do you think that's one of the reasons
0: why this deck's doing better now and people are gravitating towards it? Because those decks almost don't exist at, like, high-level
2: Pioneer? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, because, you know, we this deck showed up a little bit during all the Players Tours events and didn't do that well. Uh, and those events, were like, on day one were a lot of aggro decks. And it was Inverter yeah, a lot of and Tide Delirium and stuff that just put those decks in their place. Uh, and now this deck is coming up as sort of the next wave to respond to Sultai and... And, inverter. and in particular, if you read Yama Kilo's tweet about the deck, like, he thinks the matchup against Sultai Delirium is awesome. And it, you don't really see any Sultai in this top eight, which means it's still winning even like when its best matchup isn't really there. And that's a really good sign to me, because it tells me that it's also well-rounded.
0: Yeah, cuz like I really like what Phil Hummies did with his list here and the fact that like we I know we're going to harp on this again but Gideon's Interventions main because we found that when we were looking at this deck, and again I didn't put this thing through I haven't played like you know 15 uh 15 uh events with this or anything but I I thought it felt like when I looked at the list this might be like good against the other creature decks and mid-range decks and stuff like that but could struggle against like some of the combo decks with their fast starts but Gideon's Intervention and Gideon in the Trials seem to be huge steps forward to help those matchups out and then the cards are still good in other matchups like you know what i mean so like i don't see a glaring hole in this deck anymore and
1: yeah i agree and i think that's one of the most unique things about this deck is there just aren't that many cards that are good against inverter the deck is very resilient to to hate but getting of the trials and gideon's intervention are two of like the only cards in the whole format that are even good against the inverter deck or like specifically good against the inverter deck like, other colors don't really have access to to really effective sideboard cards in the matchup.
0: Yeah, because you're, you're seeing them kind of, you're seeing the Inverter decks, they're playing more and more Heroes Downfalls, right? Like, you're seeing four in their 75 now, but you're seeing, like, three in the main, sometimes or two to three in the main and one in the sideboard to combat stuff like Gideon of Trials. And, you know, in the Mirror, it's good against, like, Jace and stuff, but the blue-black deck doesn't really have an answer to Gideon's intervention, is the funny part. And yeah, so, like, this card... Ca- What's
1: that? Oh, thank you, Color Pie.
0: Yeah, no, right? Like, they can't really kill an enchantment. I mean, there is a... Uh, I think there's, like, a new commander... Wait, uh, no, there's the, a new... What is it? Fereka's, uh Whatever. I was going to say, but that card's pretty bad right, overall. That's,
1: that's the new tech. Inverter players. That's how you beat Gideon's Intervention. You heard it here first. Okay. And, uh,
0: Probably just get black a bounce cards, spell on your deck.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Something like... Into, like,
0: uh, what's the newer Into the Royal? It's a...
1: Uh, blink of an Eye?
0: Blink of an Eye. Oh, yeah. just play some Blink of an Eye, maybe, or something. I don't know, but um and speaking of black hearts uh mono black aggro made it in second place the deck that just won't die right like we L- found that like I th-
1: all their creatures uh- <laughs> yeah i know
0: right it, it works on multiple levels i'm glad you got it there we go this is why we need you on the show and not ross like you actually get you get the deep jokes that ross doesn't always catch i'm I mean, joking ross i, love I get I them i just don't- glare
2: at you when you say them
0: <laughs> <laughs> i saw the look i saw it all right but uh to get to it this deck's a little different than what we've, you know, come to know and love over the last few months of Mono Black Aggro. And I gotta say, I'm glad this deck's still around. I think it's healthy for formats that have decks that are just there, like at all times, you know, because like, A, it helps like consumer confidence in the in the format. You know, you can buy into Mono Black Control and you're still doing fine and stuff like that. You know, you, yeah, you lost out on Smuggler's Copter, but you, know, you have to change a card here or there. But we're looking at this one and we see the tech that, some of the Nova players were doing one of the last opens. They have uh, Mogus's Marauder main to kind of like help them finish off some big turns. But there's also like Graveyard Marshall in this version, which is interesting. It kind of gives them another mana sink and a way to utilize some things. I don't know. This one looks a little strange to me. But overall, you're just seeing like your your typical mono black deck here.
2: I, I think Graveyard Marshall is more there for the curve. Like one of the things you lost from Smuggler's Copter was another good two drop. Right? And the deck's curve has been a little higher as a result. They're playing Spawn of Mayhems and more Rankles. Uh, and in this metagame, like, you really do have to be putting a lot of pressure on your opponent. And that's a reasonable card to do that. That provides a little bit of value later on, which is exactly what the deck wants to be doing. Um, it's also two p- points of devotion for Marauder. So it's really nice to be able to target your Scrappy Scroungers or Mutavaults and make them unblockable.
1: Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. I think this is a deck that definitely rewards you for mastering it, so you know exactly your cyborg toolbox that you need for every matchup, and as the format evolves, your cyborg plan for those matchups can evolve. And it looks like the cyborg here is it it, it, it the sideboard the, the feels very intentional, like the amount of lost legacies and drill bits and remorses, I feel like it was very carefully constructed, and I and I, I think that this is a deck that really rewards you for knowing. The matchups and what you exactly need as the format evolves.
0: Yeah, seeing three Lost Legacy is pretty a pretty big nod towards like the combo decks and like inverter and stuff like that. But I like that you mentioned Agonizer Remorse, because I remember one of the first times Ross and I were doing the show and we saw this kind of starting to pop up in sideboards of black decks. We we're like, really? Like, there's not a better one mana version of this card? Like, why aren't you playing like Duress or something? And I was like, oh wait, this one like gets a card out of their graveyard out of their hand and it exiles it too. So like, it has some extra flexibility. At, like. You know, if they have a combo piece in their yard, you think they're going to like inverter you next turn. You should be like, hold on a minute. Let me get that out of your yard and we could play a few more turns and I will probably actually be able to beat you there.
1: Yeah. So. And so many of the combo pieces are just creatures now with Oracle and Inverter, like Duress mm-hmm. against, uh, and, and right. you know, against uh, Breach, they have Fae of Wishes. And sometimes you'd like to be able to hit a creature out of that deck. So I think Remorse being able to hit creatures is so important right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Got to agree there. Uh, in third place event, we had a Demir Verder deck. Pretty stock. Uh, no Narset's main is kind of weird. That that's become a thing. Like everyone's just like, you should be playing Narset main. But there's a couple on the sideboard. This one also used Packrat in the sideboard. We don't really need to go in it. This is something you know everybody's seen. And this deck's pretty uh, straight up. In fourth place, it was the other mono white.
1: We got 14-card sideboard. I don't know if that's a mistake. Oh, but, I didn't even see that. I mean, I, it could be like an MTGO thing. It's just at least <clears> something, <throat> I yeah. don't
2: know. You, you also missed the Jace Vrind's Prodigies in the main. Like This is a real innovation. Oh, there's,
1: okay. I did not notice that
2: there's yeah.
0: four Jace Vrind's Prodigies main. Yeah, I, you're I've correct. I've been
2: told that this is a uh, Gold Dukat innovation, and you see he uh, took sixth place and has four copies of Jace in his list as well. Um, I don't know if he was the originator or more the popularizer, but this is sort of a new build um okay lot, you know a lot of them have been moving away from pack rat and the sideboard and towards jace i know a lot of inverter players have really liked jace and now they're like they're just taking the next step and main decking it and it's definitely like fighting with narset for those slots um i think narset is probably was better when you had to be more concerned with breach um you know shutting off their poor the pages is quite nice um but it, it's it's not really clear to me you know which one i would rather want i do like um, the two-mana play, especially if you're going up on Heroes Downfalls, which they all are um, because of, of, you know, the need to answer all these Planeswalkers. But um, Jace in the main deck, uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense now that we've... The metagame is largely moved off of Wild Slash because I think that was the card that was holding Jace in check for the longest time.
0: This has to be another nod to the mirror as well, right? Like, just constantly checking your opponent to have a, have a Fatal Push. Like, if they don't, they're just going to lose, in the mirror, Jace stays in play for multiple turns, right?
1: I would think so. I think it's also good with all the discard spells you're playing, probably against right. the opposing combo decks. Uh, also, a Breach and inverter. Nah. I think that Jace is probably the best thing you can be doing on turn two.
2: There's always sort of been awesome. that dichotomy where like, Jace is a little bit better with discard spells. Snapcaster, you want to be playing more counter spells. I know Snap, not Pioneer, but um, mm-hmm. you know the, those two cards are so often compared, but they function slightly differently.
1: Hmm. Agree. All right,
0: and then in, the, in the, sorry, go ahead. All right, just, I agree with that. Right. In the fourth place, we have another mono white deck. You're, this one you're not the only one in... he
2: compliments, Tannen. Okay, sometimes he compliments uh, me too.
0: See, see, when he does that, it doesn't even register. That's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing we could do on the show. <laughs> I was unaware that was something we could yeah. actually do, Ross. Ross, I love you. Please don't ever leave me. <laughs> I have nothing without you. All right. Anyway, uh, we have a fourth place. We have another mono white uh, devotion list, but this one's got rest in peace in the main. And I've seen people do this before. Is I saw some people at the, the Players Tour have upwards of three and four in the main decks of like their blue white control decks, you know, some of these mono white decks. If it doesn't hurt your own deck, this is an interesting thing to be doing against these uh, combo decks, right? I,
1: I think so. Uh, one one very interesting thing is when you have a tournament like the Pioneer Showcase where you feel like the metagame is going to be a little more narrow. People are going to be playing like specifically the tier one decks and in Inverter, Breach, and Soul Tie. Main decking a card like Rest in Peace makes a lot of sense to me. Instead of playing in you know some leagues where people tend to do more brewing, they tend to play more creature decks. Uh, I, I like I like the main deck Rest in Pieces a lot. W- one more interesting thing, I guess two more. This list is playing 61 cards uh, in the main deck, which is always always a, an interesting choice. I, I, without maybe kind of speaking for them a little bit, it might just be because they want to play 26 lands in their deck, but they feel like they need all of these other cards um also one more thing uh rest in peace shuts off elspeth conquers death so you, i think you see a lot of people choosing between playing rest in peace in the main deck or elspeth conquers death in the main deck and it looks like they've got two rest in peace in the main and, and two elspeth in the sideboard, so maybe that's a, a package where you cut the two rips and bring in the elspeths when the rest in pieces aren't relevant
2: makes a lot of sense what where, where are between. you on the 61 card are you the like the crowd that says yeah that maybe like they're it could be right, or the crowd that's like, that's just never right.
1: Well, I, I think that there's not really such a thing as never right in Magic. There's just so many weird corner cases where it, it is correct to, to do the unintuitive thing. I have never been convinced it's correct, but I could be convinced it's correct. And I know that this player is is very, very smart. They, they, actually, they beat me in the last round of this event. Um, and I, I I certainly respect their opinion, and I, I could be convinced that it's right.
2: Mm-hmm. I do think situations like uh, years ago, there was like the 66 land scapeshift decks where people were like playing it, needed to play like enough mountains to make scapeshift work, but also enough non-mountains to make their mana base work because they were heavy Simic. Uh, And that raised their land count to the point where they needed to play more cards overall. Um, That was like an interesting thing to me. I'm generally in the camp that like, you know... Maybe technically, you I would say that it's possible sixty one would be correct, but like I can't envision it off the top of my head. It would have to be a very contrived scenario. I I swear I thought we were going to get a
0: math tangent here because uh, Ross is known for going off on math. I thought about it on the
2: show. I thought about it, tangent. Okay,
0: I got another question for you, Ross. When they were doing the sixty six card decks, I wasn't playing uh, you know live Magic at the time. Were you? Were you like competing? This was
2: like oh eight oh nine, I think
0: maybe yeah, were you yeah like
2: if bit. it was if it was late 2000s that was my college years and I wasn't playing as much then but I was still playing some if it was right after that that's like after I graduated in 2010 is when I started really getting back into things
0: yeah i was going to ask if you remember playing it in paper and you could tell like because here's the thing if I, I i can usually tell if someone's deck is like you know too small or too big like you 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 know you know that feel and you could kind of like get a leg up, I guess, game one, when you're shuffling your opponent's deck, you're like, this is a 66 card. Like, this is a bigger-than-normal deck,
1: you I, know? I feel like I could tell with, like, 65 cards. I wonder what the... I, I probably couldn't tell at 61 or 62. Yeah. Have you, have you that, seen... That, that might be a fun segment. Like, how can you, can you tell <laughs> yeah. how many how many cards you're shuffling?
2: There, there's a trick that uh, Penn does, where, like, he'll just have somebody cut a deck of cards and put, you know, the, one of the stacks in his hand, and he's just holding his hand out, and he'll just feel it for a second and just tell you how many cards are in it. He's like you know done magic for so long that he his he's sensitive to the weight of a single playing card. Yeah, um, I I I think I would have more easily told if my opponent was playing sixty five like ten years ago. But now with the proliferation of like double sleeving, I would just assume that like my opponent's deck is double sleeved and may or like maybe that it's single sleeved if it looks a little bit bigger or smaller. Like I I just don't know anymore. Like. I am sensitive yeah. to how things are single sleeved, because that's how I've always done things and always will. And I just get really annoyed at all these extra sleeves. But now everything's different. There's too many variables. To the,
0: yeah, the, the non-uniformity in you know product that we have for everything does make it interesting. Like there's um, what is it? there's a person that plays like taking turns at modern GPS that triple or quadruple sleeves their deck.
1: I've heard the I've legends. Heard. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I've seen it in person. It is gigantic. It looks, like a, it looks like a commander deck plus. You know what I mean? Like it looks yeah, bigger yeah. than that. And it's a 60 card deck for my it's it, it's something.
2: I played against a triple I, sleeve deck once. I could barely shuffle their deck.
0: Yeah, you can't shuffle it. It's I think somebody showed up to one of the was it- I think it was a BCW challenge, wasn't it? Uh, I think someone showed up to sure. one of the once with a triple sleeve deck. Because I remember I remember shuffling one once, and I don't think it was like in an open or anything, but. Alright. In uh fifth place, we have another version of Demir Inverter. This one's a little. Uh, more stock. You know, like there's no Jace, Friends, Prodigy's main. You're seeing Ashok, Nightmare Weaver main, a Narset main. Uh, pretty much some of the same stuff that we've seen. I don't think we... There's Thief of Sanity in the sideboard. That's a card I've seen pop
2: up as like kind of like, you know, their creature. I saw that card pop up early and then try to sort of die down when Jace and Packrat sort of took over it.
0: The, the thing with me with this card, right, is every time I've ever played against it in Constructed, which was in Standard, or I played against it in Limited because I, I, I drafted this set a lot. I have, like, never won a game where a Thief of Sanity has hit me. And I don't, I, will, I will, to this day, argue in those two formats, if you've been hit by Thief of Sanity, you've never won the game. In, standi- in standard? Yeah, in standard and in uh, limited. I want a game of standard where my opponent to hit me with
2: Thief, like, seven times.
0: I, and I was playing like, Model you know? Tempo.
2: Yeah, because
0: your deck was probably shit. Yeah, there we go. Your deck was bad. They probably got all the bad cards. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, I'm being hyperbolic. But, like, usually, like, if you hit somebody with this and the game's even remotely fair, like, you're going to win. But I've seen people bring this in, in the mirror, like hit their opponent, and then lose very easily. And like they just kill the thief and do something else. And I'm like, that's not a, that's like not a glaring good luck yeah. for this card.
2: It,
1: it, 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 yeah, there's lots of weird downsides to it. Like it gets mystical disputed. It gets blocked by inverter. It puts cards in your opponent's graveyard. So it feels their dig through times like you have to tap out for it i feel like the the card has a high upside but there's also like a bunch of like small downsides pulling yeah, it down
2: i agree i remember when i first saw you know the inverter decks breaking out over those player store weekends i saw the ones with thief in the sideboard and i thought that sounds great it's like har- much harder to fatal push still will probably like dominate the game once it starts connecting and red decks were you know on the decline so there were fewer stops fewer wild slashes and things like that And so it made a lot of sense to me, but then I, you know, I played with it a bit on Versus Live, I think, and, you know, saw it more in play, and I saw all those little downsides come up, and it it just became a really awkward card to play with.
0: Yeah, the more I hear y'all talk about it, the more I'm just, like, completely off it. That's just just not my thing. I'm kind of surprised
2: to see it here, you know, I I basically hadn't seen it for, you know, two weeks or something, three weeks.
1: It, It was kind of my understanding, and I might be wrong about this, but... I, for the players tour, because you have open deck lists, but you don't have the number of cyborg cards revealed to everyone, that people were playing like one pack rat, one thief of sanity, one jace right. in the cyborg, and so they wouldn't know what numbers to play them in. And I I don't I still can't figure out if I think that's a good strategy or not. But it was my understanding that was the the philosophy.
2: Okay.
0: I definitely heard of some people doing that, putting like a singleton in their sideboard because it was like not drastically different than being the third or fourth copy of another card, but it threw off their opponent and their opponent's sideboarding enough that like they had to always be on their toes and stuff. That's actually, I mean, you could talk for an hour about the differences between open and closed deck lists for tournaments, and and you even mentioned it earlier, like this tournament itself is like kind of like its own little thing, you know, like because it's it's so small, it's so condensed, and you you only expect to play like you know, the top decks, like, or against the top deck. So, like you said, you can do something like put Rest in Peace main in your deck, and you're still fine, because it's going to be good enough against enough decks that it's not a glaring weakness, and you just get paired against Mono Red multiple rounds in a row, and, like, in a, in a normal event that you're just playing, you know, randomly on a Tuesday or something, you know. So, uh, sixth place was Gold Docket that we talked about, uh, you know, again, for Jace, Friend's Prodigy main, we, we spoke about this deck, but I want to get to the seventh place deck, so I'm just going to skip the sixth place deck altogether because this is what we really wanted to talk about. Let's let's, this is skip, sta- let's skip
2: to eighth so that we can finish with seven. Oh, yeah, so yeah, we're going yeah, like to talk right. a lot about the seventh place list, so we'll segue into just talking about that deck in general. So let's just get the eighth deck. It's pretty stock. Like you know, this is just Bant spirits. <laughs> you know, there's like I don't see any anything different. The thing with band is like there isn't really a lot different you can do, right? I right. I've seen some remorseful cleric, selfless spirit splits. And I kind of like that because I don't think selfless spirit is well positioned, and cleric is you know, can be disruptive in certain spots. Um, but like other than that, this deck just does what it does. It was good over the players' tours weekends, but since people have reacted to it, I think it's gotten significantly worse because they're ha- they don't really have any way to re react. You know,
0: I think this has been the biggest loser in Pioneer of the last month. Like it had a ton of press. Like you played it in event. I thought it was fine for that event. It was like good the week before. And then I think it's fallen off a fucking cliff since then, pretty much. Like, like honestly, I just I I don't see you beating a lot of the popular decks at a, at a high oh, rate. You,
2: you you do beat them when you curve out. I'll tell you that. Well so I
0: will say this. I will say this. Apparently, the deck we're about to talk about in seventh place. Apparently, this is the nightmare matchup for the deck we're about to play in seventh place. It's it's apparent the seventh place deck is good against the 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 popular decks and not great or actively bad against spirits. And so those since have been burying the lead quite a bit, let's go ahead and talk about seventh place. This is Stainerson yet another. Huge magical online name, uh, super good player, but this is mono green devotion with a twist. And uh, this is this is a list that you popular popularized, right?
1: Yes. Uh, I guess I can give a little bit of history. So I started off with a thought, the thought being Karn the Great Creator seems pretty good in Pioneer being able to get Tormod's Crypt Damping Sphere and uh, interact with like the Lotus Breach deck. And then I was trying to think of the best shell to play Karn in. And I thought it was going to be mono black because you can get Bolas's Citadel and try to go off with that. And that, that deck was fine. I, I enjoyed it. And then I was streaming and one of my followers on Twitch, Austin Ables, uh, shipped me a mono green list with kind of the same idea. And I, I ended up changing like probably like 25 cards. And it, it looks like the seventh place list is the the 60 card is the 60 card main deck is what I posted and then the sideboard is very close but um, card the great Crater in mono green specifically lets you play god pharaoh statue I don't think this card is very good if you're not accelerating but playing a god pharaoh statue on turn four is amazing in every matchup and particularly good against the combo decks.
0: So let's talk for a second. It's a six mana artifact. It says spells your opponent's cost. Uh, spells your opponent's cast cost two more to cast. And at the beginning of your instep, each opponent loses one life. So it slows them down,
1: and it's technically a win condition. You know, like it does yep. do some damage. So it might be a little convoluted, but the lock kind of definitely in quotation marks. But your plan against Inverter is to play a turn three Karn, get a Tormod's Crypt. Play your Tormod script so they can't immediately tap out for Inverter, and then you get your God Pharaoh statue, and it's probably going to resolve because they don't play very many counter spells these days. Um, and because they can't tap out for Inverter, um, they have to play Inverter and Thassa's Oracle in the same turn if you have a Tormod script out, and the ability to do that is it's, it's almost impossible with God Pharaoh statue out. That, that's going to cost you 12 mana. So that's that's the that's the plan and, and the whole time you're pressuring them as well. Um, the plan B is you can, you know, play Nissa and get an Eldrazi quickly. Um, but, but the, the main the main plan is, is Karn.
0: All right, before we go too much more into plans, I kind of want to read off a little bit of this list for the people at home that don't have this in front of them. We will have, you know, the, the link in the show notes, like I said. But this has 12 Planeswalkers, and you're looking at four Karn the Great Creator, four of those Nisses that we mentioned, and four Vivian Arcbow Ranger, just a good Planeswalker. It's another tutor package. So you're looking at eight Planeswalkers that have a tutor package main. And this one has a lot of green pips in the cost. So kind of filling two roles there, right? Like helping out with Devotion and furthering your plan of your sideboard cards, which we'll get into in just a second. You're looking at uh, four Burning Tree Emissary, Elvish Mystic, Light Ranger, Land Elves, and Voracious Hydros. And two Voyaging Sater, a card that uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I My first SCG Open top 8 ever was on the back of Green Red Devotion. And this card was the card that broke it. Like being able to untap Nykthos and use it multiple times in a turn was just absurd. And then a card that we've seen getting very popular in Pioneer since there isn't a like rampant growth type effect. We're seeing four wolf willow haven that is a mouthful by the way when you try to say it really fast wolf willow haven um for those of you who don't know it's a newer card it's one of green it enchants a land and it's like the new ramp spells they've been printing the last few years it makes the land tap for an additional green uh this one also has a little bit extra text on it you can pay four in a green as a sorcery you can sacrifice the enchantment and make a two two wolf so uh i guess it's at least you know a little value late in the game, if you're playing, it's like a control deck or something. You still have something to do.
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not super relevant, but I've I've killed people with those wolves.
0: Yeah, the wolves can be very very impactful. I, I imagine certain. they come
2: up most often when you're in like a low resource game and you just need right. to block for a turn to protect a planeswalker.
0: Yeah, you know. like that's, that's that's a big deal. Like it seems really good with Nyssa. Like this and Nyssa seem great yeah. together and stuff, and uh, I do want to read off the sideboard because it's 15 one-ups, so well, I got my work cut out for me here today or whatever, but uh, I'm just going to read it off again Damping Sphere, I said it right, Damping Sphere uh, Emrakul the Promising, uh, Heart of Kirin I gotta say, th- is this one here pretty much to protect your Planeswalkers as well?
1: Yeah, Heart of Kirin uh, was also a suggestion from the Twitch chat, uh,
0: yeah.
1: it's something I wanted a lot, was just like a, a cheap threat to play off of your Karn, and it's it's so good to get with Karn, put it into play, and then you can crew it with Karn and block it helps the spirits match up the best card against Spirits is Sky Sovereign getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it's, it's also yeah. good to, to get this out and be able to block and protect your Karn in the Spirits matchup specifically.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, after that, you have a Questing Beast, uh, Satestan Partitioner. This is the 2-2 version. You said you actually like the other one better. It costs one more mana, but it's a 3-3. Yeah,
1: I, I a... do like that one better. I've actually completely cut that card from my sideboard. Uh, I, I, it, when I When when you tiered it up, it was very relevant, but there just isn't enough mono red in the format okay. right now, I think, to justify yeah. it.
0: That makes sense. Uh, the Great Hinge, Ulamog, The Ceaseless Hunger, a Walking Ballista, Darksail Citadel. So just to make sure you can make flame drops 5 and 6 after you get Karn in play and you're going to god them or something. I get it. I get it. Uh, god Pharaoh Statue, a Pithing Needle, a Scavenging goose, the Boat, like we were talking about. <makes noise> uh, <laughs> Sovereign <laughs> Council Flagship. Sorry, it's hard to say that with a straight face. <laughs> uh, the Tormont's Crypt that you mentioned, and a Green Gearhawk. So pretty wide range here. So, you know, we've got stuff to slow them down. Stuff to kill him, you know, some threats, and some interaction. I, I like it. Overall, this deck seems pretty cool. I remember the first time I saw it, uh, I think you posted it on Twitter, I think it was the first time that I kind of got exposed to it, and I was like super interested, because I'm a mono green Tron player at heart, let's be real, everybody, everybody knows I'm, a de- I'm devoted to Karn, and I'm super mad, because I've never been able to play in a paper tournament with four Karn the Great Creator in my deck yet, and I have like the super sweet Japanese ones, I even have foil ones that I got, because I'm that guy, but...
1: Uh, I just want to play them because they're so cool. The, the card is super duper fun to play with. Um, this deck is so surprising because you don't cyborg in any matchup is, is one thing I don't think. Do you really you not sideboard at all? I, 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 do, I do not sideboard in any matchup. Um, and I don't think that this awesome. version does either. This version is like maybe three or four cards different than than mine. Um, yeah, I, I just don't cyborg in any matchup. And it makes a lot of sense for a ramp deck that's just doing its ramp thing. And like a, a lot of times when you're sideboarding in like... You know your, uh, like a lot of times you would play like heroic intervention, which isn't even that good against the blue white decks because of Teferi. like seeing like the old devotion decks. It just makes a lot of sense to just keep doing your plan and get your cyborg cards as you need them with Karn and Vivian. Um, I I, I really really like the deck. I, I think I've had a higher win percentage with this deck than any other deck in Pioneer.
2: Wow is it is it a conscious decision not to have any sort of disenchant effect on the sideboard like i don't see a Uh, it
1: it is a conscious decision i haven't i had like a reclamation sage at one point and i just never ever ended up getting it my my sideboard is slightly different i cut the questing beast and the and the uh the nylea's disciple for a graft cage because sometimes breach can be uh, Tormon script. If you with the turn you go and crypt, sometimes they can just win through it with breach, and sometimes you have f- five mana on turn three. And I'm also playing one aligned Hedron Network, which is a very strange card. It's four mana when it enters. You exile all creatures with power five or greater. And what that matchup is for is the black white auras deck, which is kind of picking up in popularity. And that matchup is really really bad because they have like a lot of. You just you, it's hard to interact with them. Their creatures get really big really fast and. I found that that is the best plan for the matchup. And it you can also get it when your opponent has a 5-power creature, if they have an Uro, they have a Rotting Regisaur, or, or something like that. But I, I've been pretty happy with that card, and the only creatures you have that get that big are Voracious Hydra, which can be smaller.
2: Yeah, this deck is definitely, you know, it looks pretty similar to the green Devotion decks we saw a couple months ago, you know, before all their cards got banned. Uh, and it, you're, you've cut Walking Ballista, essentially, or just moved it to, to a one of in the sideboard. And instead you're playing this really like you know grind them out game with Planeswalkers. And because the Planeswalkers are so important, you need a little bit more reliable acceleration early. Uh, so the Wolf Hollow Havens and the Foraging Satyrs jump in to do that because you know you don't have once upon a time to find your mana creatures. If your mana creature dies, you really want to follow it up with another piece of acceleration as opposed to uh, I don't know some dopey creature or whatever, but. You know, the The list looks really tight, and I I remember when I I saw when you tweeted about it, and just the I'm playing a deck that doesn't sideboard, and it makes sense not to sideboard already had me hooked. And it, I'm, it's exciting. Well, Tannin is a is a mono green Tron player. I'm an elvish Mystic player, so I've been sad to see that you know those cards really relegated to the sidelines in the last month or two uh, in Pioneer, and because um, you know. It, it's it's always sad to see a card I like start out being way too powerful and then end up being just like not good. And that's sort of where the the green devotion decks went. They just had too many good cards. A lot of them got banned. Maybe too many of them. I don't know. Um, but to, to see them come back and in a, such a really sweet shell, this is like this is the deck I want to play when um, in Baltimore next weekend. I a it.
1: I would really recommend it. I've I've been kind of killing with it.
0: So. Uh, I did want to say one thing real quick about it, and kind of piggyback on the on, on one of the comments that you made. I had an idea for you, uh, Spike, if you wanted to kind of cash in a little bit more on this one, like a good revenue stream for you. You, you know the joke about like Twitter, like the uh, the sideboard guide. You know the three dollar Patreon. Yeah, 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 You should you should post a sideboard guide for this deck, and they have to do like a three dollar thing, and then it, you'd, you'd be like, I have the top fifteen matchups, right? And just literally list fifteen decks and just no changes on all of them, just. <laughs> i think it'd be I don't, fully i'm not gonna bring myself
1: to charge for that but that might be i don't wonder if i could set it up to be free and they have to like actually click through it or something
0: i'm not gonna lie like if i didn't know it like you know i and like i was like dude hey do you have a cyborg And you're like yeah dude it's three bucks i'm like all right cool here paypal three bucks <laughs> yeah, or yeah, yeah. do whatever and you sent this to me I'm sure there'd be people that'd be mad. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah, You'd yeah. get some shit. I would laugh my ass off. It, it, it,
1: it would definitely be funny. I'm not. I'm not denying it would be funny. I don't think I could bring myself to do it. But
0: yeah, you're probably too nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, no. I'm. I'm actually super excited by this deck too. Um. In fact, like, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I have a. I, I'm really cluttered. In, in my magic stuff, like, stuff's everywhere, and I have decks, like, you know, I have, like, 75% of a deck just sitting there in a stack. I have this, like, all the cards I own of this deck, because I'm missing a few things here or there, like some of the random cards, and, like, I don't own for Vivian Arcbow Ranger yet, so I'm gonna make sure I get it, because, like, uh, this will this will kind of move into the next segment. I think this deck can survive bannings for a while, and we kind of mentioned this early in the show that we got the announcement for the announcement that next week there's there's a banning talk come up, and people are expecting maybe something in modern, but people are also expecting probably something in pioneer as well. I was going to see either one of y'all have any opinions on it because I've seen a lot of discourse on it. I've seen a lot of talks about like, if you ban this, then you have to ban that. And if you ban that, then you have to ban this kind of thing. And it seems like the simplest way to me, if you wanted to change something in this format is to just ban dig through time. But I wanted to hear y'all's opinion. Ross, did you want to go? Mm,
2: No, let's let the guest go first.
1: Okay, Sure. sure. Um, I, I personally think that that you should ban Dig Through Time and Underworld Breach. One one thing about um people people don't like the idea of killing the Lotus Field deck because they really like its presence. They like the presence of a really powerful combo deck existing uh to pressure like the big mid-range suite assault type deck. But I think that Lotus Breach is too, or, or I think Underworld Breach is too good. I, I, I've seen time and time again your, your breach opponent will play breach, you'll like exile their entire graveyard, and they'll just continue to be able to win this, the very same turn with the same breach, which I think is a design mistake to have a two-minute card that relies on the graveyard that can still win the turn that your graveyard gets exiled. I, I also think that the Lotus Breach deck is too good at finding discard spells and counter spells at the moment. I think that Storm-style combo decks should inherently be kind of vulnerable to discard spells and counter spells, but it's just not. They have like so many cards that if they resolve, they win. Pour over the pages, granted, Lotus Breach, and their engine is a land that can't be targeted by removal or discarded or countered. And I I think that Underworld Breach is the card that pushes the deck over the edge. You can beat it, and every deck in Pioneer is trying to beat it, and everybody has a cyborg plan, so it's not putting up great numbers. But I also think that people are just going to get better at playing the deck. People are are going to master it, and it's going to be just a, a, a little too good, in my opinion. I, I also think Dig Through Time needs to go. I think that's kind of the more obvious one. I've seen some people argue for Inverter or Oracle because they like the presence of Dig Through Time, but I think that the Inverter combo is totally fine if Dig Through Time is banned. Um, you know, part of the combo really is exiling your own graveyard to shrink it for when you Inverter Oracle. And Dig Through Time is so efficient at exiling your graveyard and finding the two pieces of the combo you need to go off. And I, I also think that Dig Through Time has kind of quietly survived a couple of bannings. I think that it was the best card in Blue-Green Nexus. I think that even though Blue-Green Nexus is not very fun, and I understand wanting to ban Nexus of Fate because you don't want that to be what your formats are like, I think that if Dig Through Time was banned, Blue-Green Nexus wouldn't be a very competitive deck. I also think it was the best card in the old Lotus Field decks. Um, And I I just think that if you don't ban it now, you're going to ban it at some point when more two-card combos emerge.
0: And that's kind of what I wanted to ask you, because the two cards, as you specifically say here, is another reason that you think along these lines because it, it, it hinders so much future possibilities. Like, having Dig Through Time and Lotus Breach be present... It makes it harder to not be broken at all times in the format you know with like newer cards coming out newer combo pieces like it seems like the combo decks just always have dig through time in them you know what i mean like something along those lines
1: yeah it's just so hard to run the combo decks out of resources um and i think that that is a problem when the combo decks can outgrind the fair decks i don't think that that i think that causes an unbalance to the format um I also, it's probably not super surprising to call for a dig through time ban. The card is restricted in vintage, banned in legacy and modern. It was very good in standard while it was legal, but not nearly as good as the older formats. And it's definitely not, it hasn't been as good in Pioneer as it was in modern or legacy because because there aren't fetch lands, but I still think the card is just kind of a fundamentally unbalanced card.
2: Certainly the most powerful card. I definitely agree with you there. It's the best card in... The Demir Inverter deck, you know, um, I'm still sort of on the uh, ban inverter side of things. At this point, given the reaction we've had and the ability to suppress Underworld Breach, it doesn't, it seems premature for me, you know, to ban that deck. I would like to actually witness it pop back up if, like, somebody finds a way to tune a list to beat the hate, because right now, like... It's not like damp- damping spheres in a lot of sideboards, but it's not like everybody's forced to play like three or four and things on top of that. They have their two damping spheres and like it's good, and then they have other cards that are good against, um, you know, the the Lotus Field and maybe other combo decks like Getting of the Trials, uh, Lost Legacy, all those kinds of effects, graveyard hate. You know, all those none of those cards are super targeted at um, at Lotus Field in the way Damping Sphere is. Um, so it doesn't seem to me like the presence of Lotus Field has warped the metagame too much. Um, you know, it, it did for like a weekend when people really heavily reacted to it. And then as the deck has sort of floundered in the week since the player stores um, and and not put up some, you know great results, we've seen the hate pair down and we haven't really seen the deck reemerge. And I would have to see that happen before I want to ban it. You know i i would have to be assured that we absolutely need a very high degree of hate within sideboards that's specifically targeted for lotus breach uh in order to want a ban want to ban a card from that deck so if i'm thinking that it's Demir inverter is the main problem you know yeah dig through time and inverter are really the only two options to ban and i agree with you that you know dig uh dig through time is the more powerful card in the abstract um I would. I also think it's it's obviously just then the more playable card, you know, outside of the uh, the context of that one deck. So you know, if you ban Dig Through Time, and the 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 inverter deck is only ever going to get inverter of truth is only ever going to get played in the inverter deck, right? Whereas Dig, you know, is going to hurt Zori's control. It's going to hurt you know you know a bunch of weird decks. Um, You know, sort of unnecessarily because none of those decks have been too good. And while I'm amenable to the argument that This card will probably have to get banned eventually. You know, if it doesn't have to get banned now, why not give people as much time to enjoy the card as possible? And I've just gotten kind of sick of the inverter combo. It's really annoying that the combo itself is so hard to interact with. And I think that really is a big problem. And it points to me as like needing to ban a combo piece because of the issue. Like, You know, even ostensibly, like they win with a bunch of ETB triggers, but things like, you know, the Torpor Orb effects aren't good against them. (laughs) <laughs> it just that that seems to me to be a problem so i'm i'm of the camp that i just want to ban inverter and nothing else and see what happens uh but i'm also trying to be very minimalist
1: i i guess my i, I guess the, i have a question do you think that dig through time is part of the combo the inverter uh das's oracle combo because i kind of have been viewing it as a combo piece
2: um i i I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being the case. You know, if you were to just take four Dictor time out and add four treasure crews, for example, the deck gets significantly worse. And, and but that's kind of where
1: I was going next. Like, do you especially against Narsin,
2: <laughs> right? Um, I've uh, I know Andrew Jessup had the idea of it, it, in the case of a ban moving towards this like tempo game plan and trying to play Stubber Denial and Tassigur. Um. Which is kind so of interesting. I've
1: seen people try to try that in modern, and it just hasn't looked very good at all.
2: Yeah. So uh, I, I, definitely think there's a good chance that banning dig through time it means the combo is not particularly playable. Though it, it still has that same issue of, of dig. If they ever print like an efficient way to get rid of your graveyard and still function as a f- in the fair games, like the, if the combo is going to be sitting there waiting to be broken again. So it, I,
1: I think I think I certainly understand where you're coming from. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I could I could see banning both, and just you know, <laughs> r- really ca- KOing the deck because that there there are legitimate arguments for for each card. But I'm I'm definitely against banning anything from the, the breach deck, while the, the meta game seems to have handled it quite well, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I I would be happy to be wrong about the breach deck. I would I would love for that deck to not be very good, but I, I do also think there's a, a high skill gap between some players that play the breach deck. And I, I, I feel like against against a master breach player, I think if everyone were playing it to like 100 percent efficiency, then then I, I, I sort of feel like we'd see it popping up in, in bigger numbers. I'm, I, I don't know if that, that's if that makes sense. Yeah. But but until that actually
2: happens it, and, you know, until it exists in reality and, and outside of theory, then it doesn't really matter. Like we shouldn't be really be swayed. That's, I by. it. That's,
1: that's totally true. That's totally true
2: but I, I do agree. There's a, there's a, that deck is really hard. <laughs> as someone who played it in an open, uh, so, and the classic, and yeah, and the a, a classic deck. don't forget that that deck is, <laughs> and I'm like, it, it's hard to, the, the difficulty of it compounds because you end up like just sapping your energy throughout the day and then making silly mistakes as a result. Like I found myself doing just stupid things or missing easy stuff, you know, way more often than I otherwise would, because I was just so, um, you know, focused and you know so devoted to trying to figure out like the the complicated lines.
1: Yeah, it, uh, it's one of the hardest decks I've ever seen. I I, I played it uh, myself, and I I played years and years of Legacy Storm, and I think that is it is harder to play than Legacy Storm. Oh yeah, I I played See, Legacy
2: Storm for like a year, and yeah, I would definitely you know that deck had you just had so much information with all the discard spells playing Legacy Storm and that helps you just helped you so much
0: see because of the reasons y'all all just said just right there the, this is why I don't even touch the deck like not, I just know as soon as I see that deck on paper I'm like this thing has to have an absurd win rate for me to even like pick it up and start playing with it it's just it's just too much for me I gotta ask for the people that are listening and maybe haven't ch- uh, checked out your stream or your viewers that are already fans of yours are you gonna be streaming any of the uh, Mono Green deck this week?
1: Uh, probably this week yeah I, I do plan on it. I don't I don't usually know what I'm streaming until, like, the night of or the day before, but I, I do plan on streaming it this week.
0: I was really asking for me because I want to <laughs> watch it, and that's at uh, twitch.tv slash aspiring spike. But uh, to talk a little bit more about you, I've got a little bit of fun stuff for you here. So um, in our Discord and our Patreon channel, I'll let them ask you some questions. So are you okay fielding a few questions? Yeah, sure thing. All right, so the first one, you, you kind of touched on this, but I'm gonna let you go into it a little bit deeper if you'd like. Someone said, ooh, ooh, uh, ask him about the Grixis Flash deck in Modern he popularized. Uh, I loved that deck and even played it at the Invitational, but it seems to have
1: sputtered out. Uh, it has sputtered out, and I would recommend looking at the blue-black control list. I, I just trophied with it the very last league I played. It's on my Twitter. It's it's that Grixis deck, but cutting the red and playing Arcane's Charm and Shadow of Doubt instead.
0: All right, um, here's another one. Uh, do you think there's a deck that could see tier one play that currently is not there, uh, especially if there's a band for inverter?
1: I, I assume we're talking about Pioneer. I, yes. Uh, yeah, yes, Yeah. Um, I think the Mono Blue Devotion deck that I've been playing a bunch, I think it's very good. The one that's playing Leyline of Anticipation and Gadwick. I've really, really liked that deck. I, I still really like that deck. I haven't played it in a couple of weeks because I've been working on other things, but I always felt like that deck was very, very powerful. It was more cons. It got way more consistent playing Omen of the Sea and Thassa's Oracle, and I I think that it's underplayed. I don't know that it could be tier one necessarily, but I I think it 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 feels like it it is it has been underexplored in the Pioneer format.
0: Oh, all right. How about um, are there cards that you think have potential to be role players that are currently underrepresented in Pioneer?
1: Yeah, I I, I think that is. It's definitely, I definitely do think so. I think half the fun when you're brewing a deck in Pioneer is going through all the different options for similar effects and trying to, to find the best one. I don't know that I necessarily have a great one off the top of my head. I suppose Cling to Dust is a card that I haven't seen other people playing, but I've been playing a few black decks that don't really utilize your own graveyard very well, and I think one cling to dust is super free. It can trips for one mana or can gain you life and it will just generate card advantage down the line. And that's that's the floor of the card. But it also is main deck graveyard hate in a format that really likes graveyard hate. I think cling to dust is a card that most black decks should be playing. I actually kinda of think Inverter yeah. should play one cling to dust.
0: I kind of like I kind of like that card a lot. I've been yeah. playing it. Uh, I've been putting it in the main deck of my limited decks like more and more as I draft the set, and it makes you appreciate the card at like multiple levels, and you start to see that it could possibly. show. Did you just have to Google the card? Oh, oh yeah,
2: hundred percent. I, I
1: I think there's a really good comparison. I mean, may, maybe not, but there's there's another card from Theros that's two mana draw card, and it it escapes for I think also four mana and five cards to draw another one. But this card is in black instead of blue, it costs one mana, it can draw you a card or gain life when you need it to, it's graveyard hate, and it also escapes, and for the same cost.
0: Is is Coffin Purge the one that cycles, but is one Coffin black? Coffin Purge is the one with flashback. Alright, what was the one that like drew a card or cycled, or whatever? There was one, back in the day, that one got main decked at some point in time in some format where it was, where it was a thing. Um, the next question was asking about mono blue. So we kind of answered that, but they did say, do you think it needs something to be more competitive or do you think it's actually just in a good spot?
1: I last time I played it, I thought it was in good spot. I haven't touched it in a while, but I, I always felt like I was winning with the deck or having like a, a good record with it.
0: All right. Uh, next one, this friend says "As a person who does a lot of brewing, uh, what feels like the right amount of time spent tweaking a deck when you ask yourself, uh, what you're doing is equal, better or worse, but viable compared to what the meta looks like.
1: I think that when you're brewing, I think that the the main reason to brew is you have an idea for a card or a package or an archetype that you think is going to be well positioned in the format you're brewing for. So you know, if you take the mono blue deck, I thought Leyline of Anticipation was gonna be very powerful with Master of Waves, and it, it really is, you just flash in twenty power on your opponent's end of turn. I think car like when I was playing the Karn decks, I thought that Karn was an excellent choice for the format. So so I, I think that that should be why you're brewing, because you think that you're going to be doing something unique that's going to be well-positioned. And when you, should, you know, when you should give up a brew is a little more arbitrary, but I do think that if you're losing consistently with something, you're probably not doing... your idea is probably not... you were probably wrong. And, that, and that's fine, and there have been lots of brews I've had that have failed. Um, but I've learned something from them. Probably, like, the the Mono Black Karn deck. Well, I didn't think that deck was terrible. I I learned that Karn was good in Pioneer, and that, like, really transitioned right into the Mono Green version. So I think that even in your failures of Bruise, you can always learn something from them and learn something that's working and port that into something else.
0: I think that's just, like, a good lesson for Magic in general is, like, you can try to learn something from every match you play, like every game you play, every session of magic that you do, and not just focusing on like, well, this went wrong, this went right. You know, like trying to trying to learn there. Um, this one, if you want a moment, I can go to the next question to give you a second to think about this one, because this is a good question. It's, if you could add one card to
1: Pioneer, what would it be and why? Uh, I, I know that one, Winds of Abandon. I've thought about oh. it. I, I think Winds of Abandon would be wonderful. I think that the white decks need a better creature removal spell. But I do not think Winds of Abandoned would buff blue-white control very much because you're two-fourning yourself point. at sorcery speed. So a white removal spell that buffs white creature decks, but doesn't buff blue-white control so much, I think is something I'd really like.
0: You know, that's actually a really good answer now that you say that, because me and Ross had a long discussion about cards that we wanted to add into the format. And a lot of people brought up Path to Exile because they're like, because remember, before this mono white deck, white literally did not exist in this format. Like it was not, it was not a played color, except the blue white deck was good. And we knew that if we added path decks out of that deck it might get too good you know that that's that would be a worry that if that deck just had a one mana kill anything type spell and as soon as you said winds of bands i don't know if you noticed my eyes got real big i was like "Ooh, that's 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 a really good one um what is your favorite aspect of pioneer as a format
1: i i mean it's kind of cheesy i guess but it's just my entire history of playing magic the RTR pre-release was my very first event, and I just get to play every card that I was there for. So it's, it's just such a nostalgic a nostalgic format for me. I feel like every time I stream, someone casts a card against me that I have not seen cast against me before in the format. And I, I'm i absolutely loving it. It's my favorite format at the moment.
0: I, I think it might possibly just be the best format in Magic right now, but- I, I
1: think it is. E- even yeah. though like there are problems with it, with like I think yeah. the combo decks, i think it's still great i have fun with it every time i play it
0: i wonder if your reasoning is why i like legacy so much because it's you know every card that's been since i started playing <laughs> or whatever so
1: legacy um, is also great
0: yeah I, I i do miss the format quite is, a bit is legacy um, good now
2: because well no it's horrible
0: <laughs> uh well it, it's horrible because like the legacy breach deck is messed up it's just like, so good messed up with,
1: with lion's eye diamond it's yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's that every deck is that or just oko decks like it's it's delver with oko or like four color snow decks that just play basics but they're four colors without a problem and oko and that's it like i literally just i played legacy last week and i just played a bunch of mirrors and i just had to all my games took forever anyway all right sorry didn't mean to go off on a tangent there uh do you have an do you have an opinion on what's the best budget deck in the format we're talking 100 ticks or under
1: that's a good question uh i use like a rental service so i'm not super tuned in with the ticks yeah, like i know it was like yeah. the mono green stompy deck for a while i think that deck is still fine i know it's like very inexpensive and can honestly kill the combo decks before they can go off uh a good amount of the time i imagine I- i'd probably say mono green stompy i think the deck's like 50 ticks or something
0: mm-hmm. all right well, So that's a. About it for like the specific questions, but I I got a few I got a few from myself. I don't know if Ross had any. What's been like your favorite deck overall since the, the format came out? Because you've you've messed around with a lot of cool ones, or is it just the devotion strategies in general? Because that seems to be like where you've spent a lot of your time.
1: I've spent a lot of my time there, and I, I think the the mono blue devotion I think has been my favorite. It's yeah. it's just so fun to draw a thousand cards with Gadwick, flash in a million power with Master of Waves. Like flash, you know, zero mana artifacts or sorry enchantments that generate mana for your Nykthos so you can just cast spells way faster than your opponents can. Is it, it's very very strong. Um, I I would say Mono Blue Devotion has been my favorite deck. Yeah. Final answer. Oh, actually, that's oh. not true. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about th- this deck got super banned, and it's not fair. It didn't do anything to deserve it. I was I played a blue green. I, I called it a steel deck as a nod to uh, Zach Elsick that was playing Chief Engineer, Throne of the God Pharaoh, and what got banned was Once Upon a Time in Smuggler's Copter. But you would Chief Engineer, I don't know if you guys know, yeah. uh, but it's, it's a 2-mana 1-3 that gives your artifacts Convoke. Yeah. So you would Convoke out like Verdurous Gearhulks, Walking Ballistas, Stone Coil Serpents, Verderous Gearhulks, and you also had Throne of the God Pharaoh, which you could Convoke out, and then it dealt damage to your opponents for all the tapped creatures you controlled, and they were all tapped for Convoke. That deck was super fun. It was a blast to play, and it was kind of good. And then Copter and Once Upon a Time got banned, and now it's like not even close to being a deck.
0: Anytime you uh, say a deck, and you're like, "Oh, I liked this deck. I worked on it with Zach Elsick, I just know immediately I'm going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I every deck that man has ever built, I'm just like, this sucks. I hate playing against this. I never want to play. Like, I hated
2: hated Lantern like with a burning passion. I think Lantern is, like, just one of the most glorious decks in the history of Magic. Just beautiful deck.
1: Zach is a very special mind when it comes to building decks. Like, nobody approaches deck building like he does. I feel like I, I learned a lot from the guy. Um, but I, I can't even, like, come close to <laughs> figuring out where he, he starts off with some of these lists. One of those people
0: who
2: is just on a different level.
0: Yeah, he thinks about the game. It's like, when I think about certain people in Magic, you think about, like, Tom Ross, uh, Zach Elsick, and some people like that, you're like, they. I wish that you could hear their mind when they're playing the game, because you know they think about it in a way that no one else does. Like, I don't even know. We probably need to translate it, honestly. The way they think about it, we probably wouldn't even understand it. Let's break out the brain electrodes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Being on a team with him uh, at, like, Pro Tour 25 and, like, the RPT queuing, I got, like, little bits and pieces of it, and... He definitely has a brain that's wired to play magic, so I'm glad that he's in the, you know, the R and D team now. Mm-hmm, uh, the, play, the, play the play design, the play design stuff, team. Yeah. I, I'm glad that we have a brain like that in the behind the scenes. All
0: right, I'm also interested to hear some of your opinions and some of the stuff that we've we've brought up on the show and like talked about, like that that may not be uh, magic related. What are, do you have any like, like Ross is a vegetarian. I'm like pretty close to like pescatarian. Do you have a eating thing? Do you, or do you just eat everything?
1: Uh. I don't have a dietary restriction, no. I honestly don't eat very healthy. Uh, <laughs> I mostly just eat whatever my girlfriend cooks, but she also doesn't cook very healthy. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, yeah, no dietary restriction, though.
0: All right, how do you, how do you take your steak? Uh, rare. Okay, good answer. I was about to, the show could have ended very abruptly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well done with ketchup and cold. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, my God. I would literally just kick you off. <laughs> yeah what's your opinion on math
1: on math (laughs) uh i like math i am not great at it but i i do enjoy like every time in the past when i've you whenever you learn something new in math it's like the best feeling ever when like a, a concept or an idea clicks it's so satisfying it's it's a feeling that isn't like really like anything else
0: I, I really wish that we did this on video at, at this exact moment more than any other moment in the history of this podcast. Because when you were saying that, uh, you know, when it clicks, like when you really get it and it is feels better. Yeah, it feels better than anything else. Ross's face is just turns like just turns red out of joy. And he's just he's just nodding his head. He looks like he's like physically excited by this and the, and the thought of it. And I'm over here just shaking my head like, what are you talking about? Like you're you're getting excited over math. Yeah, <laughs> like, math is great. Math is
1: great. I feel like there's a lot of, there's a decent amount of math and magic. It's mostly counting, but yeah. I'm
0: not saying it's not functional and I don't use it all the time and to great, you know, to great success of my, like anything that I do that I do well, like I need math, but like I'm not looking to go do differential equations in my spare time. You know, it's like not, it's it's not my thing. Maybe not, you know? Maybe not
2: partial differential equations. I never liked partial differential equations, but the the ordinary ones. I'll do those. Ordinary
0: ones are great. Screw the partial ones. Exactly. I, like to d- I have no idea what the difference is. I like to do in
2: uh, <laughs> doing systems of linear differential equations because you solve them with linear algebra techniques. And I liked seeing the intersection between what is normally a pure math topic and what is normally an applied math topic. Uh, and they came together. Exactly. All right, are you a fan of any uh, of any sports?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a football and a basketball fan. I live right by the Cowboys stadium. I've been a born and raised Cowboys fan and I'm a Mavericks fan as well, but I haven't been as into it in the last few years because I guess kind of as cheesy as it sounds, like you know, esports and and Magic because yeah, kind of taking more of a priority. But I used to just like do a ton of fantasy football and I would watch a twelve o'clock game, a three o'clock game, and a you know the Sunday night football too every Sunday.
0: Let's say hey, you got a you got a decent basketball team there for the next couple of years. You know you got one of the best young players, if not the best young player in the game. And Lucas, so that's a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, I have Lucky sympathy faster. for anybody that's a Dallas Cowboy fan because it just seems like they're still holding on to I think, the early nineties. We have a
1: lot of we have a lot of potential, and we have a lot of talent. Do you? Do you? Uh, yeah, we've got a lot <laughs> of work to do. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm here for the long haul. I'm here for the long haul. Right. I've always been a Cowboys fan. I always will be. I, li- I live literally five minutes from the stadium. So, is
0: is there parts of the summer where it's like? very dark where you live or it shouldn't be because the stadium is blocking out the sun.
1: Uh, Not not quite that close, but traffic gets really bad. I avoid it.
0: Yeah. I will say I live uh, relatively close to LSU's football stadium, which is like, you know, another gigantic, uh, stadium. And you cannot drive through certain parts of the city on on like Friday, Saturday, when the games are going on, I'll say, uh, our football teams have a little fun going back and forth quite a bit, you know, with new Orleans and Dallas and stuff. Also, uh, LSU plays quite a bit in that stadium. Like, we used to play, I think it was a couple years in a row, we played our first game of the year on a neutral site, which was, uh, we call it Jerry World. You know, I forgot the real name of the stadium. I think
1: it's the kn- a- AT&T Stadium. Right,
0: at I could. Yeah. I forgot who the, uh, you probably see the sign on yeah, the like yeah, outside I, of it. I, I,
1: it's, it's big, it's hard to miss.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, Ross, speaking of that, how are the Jazz
2: doing? Well, they won their last game, so that's good. That's, that's better than the ones before, right? Yeah, they lost the four before. All of them at home. There's really four. Yeah, they went, they lost five in a row, then won four in a row, then lost four in a row. And then they won That's the last good. game against Washington. They're playing tonight against Cleveland and Andre Drummond that isn't even playing yet. Yeah, they lose. To, I mean, it's in Cleveland, but like they, they've got to get these games because they're they've dropped in the standings a bit. So and right now there's they're in the fifth seat, I believe, and Houston's four. And I just don't want to play Houston again. I'm just sick and tired of them. I hate losing you know, to that Harden team, putting up
0: 45 on you a game.
2: I just hate losing to that team so much. I hate them.
1: That's how. Uh, whenever the Rangers lose to Houston, and it happens a lot, <laughs> it's just like there's a, a blanket on this on the whole city. You're talking uh, about in, in baseball? Yeah, in baseball. I, I I I I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I like going to baseball games, and like they're cheaper than Cowboys games, and I'm also close to that stadium. And I I don't go when they're playing the Astros because they're just not going to win.
0: Well, I don't know. Uh, But so you have a new stadium now, right? Don't you all? Is it opening uh, it's, this year?
1: It's still in construction. Uh, it's still in construction. So it's
0: is it next year? I thought it was I, this I, season.
1: I, I believe so. I might be wrong about that. Uh, I could have
0: sworn it's the season, but I, I could be wrong. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to figure it out uh, after the show because, like, you know, I don't live there anymore. I don't get to see it like I used to or whatever, but um, I will say we, we kind of did the show backwards. Usually we do a lot of the uh, tangent stuff at the beginning and then kind of go in. Uh, did either of y'all do anything fun over the weekend? I know, uh, Ross, you didn't have to travel,
2: right? Yeah. No, I just had a weekend at home. You know, we did some, uh, some bar trivia Friday night. Uh, took Did you win? No, we took third. To of, you. We actually So it basically all just came down to the last question, which is like s- some number that you have to guess close to. And we thought we had a... a Really good answer. I thought we were going to win, but a, a team ended up getting really, really close. Uh, it was um, how many worldwide cases of coronavirus have been diagnosed, uh, and we said eighty-three thousand, and the answer was like eighty-five thousand two hundred six. But there was a team that said eighty-six thousand. Uh, there's no none of that BS. Like go
0: over no,
2: but it's just it's just closest, and like the boat the points from that question are what differentiated the top couple teams. So. We made, we made a nice run.
0: All right, let's, let's get, let's get the, uh, the viewers at home and the fans a little more. Spike, what do you do in your, like, spare time? What do you do for fun?
1: Uh, I play a lot of D&D. All I, right, you kind of
0: you mentioned that on your, uh, your stream today. Yeah, yeah,
1: I talk about it from time to time. I think there's, like, a decent overlap in the two audiences, but I play oh, yeah. D&D, like, three times a week these days. Oh, which wow. Is, it's, besides, you know, working and streaming, that's, like, most of my free time is dedicated to D&D. How long is
0: an average session?
1: Uh, like four hours. (laughs) Wow.
0: See, Ross, Ross, you've played, right? No. I I have not. We've both never played, which is kind of surprising that we were just 0% on the
2: show. I I got invited to join a game, like, very shortly before I moved to Roanoke, and the game was in Connecticut, so I was like, no, I'm moving. I'm I'm
0: getting more interested as I get older because like it's it's more intriguing. You know, when I was younger, I was like I didn't want to just sit there and do nothing because I was already doing like magic and poker, and I was like I don't want another thing. You know, I was like you know I went and like I was on like a flag football team and like a softball team and stuff like that, and like now I'm like old and sitting and doing back, nothing sounds great. Yeah, obviously my knees and my back hurt, <laughs> so like <laughs> sitting. Yes, yeah, sit, wait, I can drink while doing this, or I can have the game on over there like at the same time. Like yeah, that sounds great. So like, what's a what's like a a, a thing that you could get a, be, a beginner to get excited about?
1: Um, a beginner to get excited. Like,
0: about. what like what would your pitch be if I was like, hey, I'm thinking about getting into D and D. Like, should I? Or like, you know, like especially from a magic player's perspective.
1: Uh, well, this is probably like the easiest entry level is. There's a, you probably have heard of it, the Critical Role YouTube channel podcast. They have like professional voice actors and they play D and D. It's not exactly what D and D is like, but if you just want to like watch it you can pick up on like the rules and like the different classes and stuff and kind of see if that's an experience you'd be into and it's also i think very entertaining even if you don't like the game itself
0: uh one of the people that's involved is actually a very close friend of mine and stood in my wedding oh awesome yeah do you know ruben brusler
1: uh yes yeah
0: yeah i'll say great guy great uh dm apparently like i i mean I, i can't judge but the dude's an amazing comedian voice actor like aspiring voice actor uh to use your name as a pun, or you know as an example here but yeah it's that, a that'll interesting be my next that.
1: Twitch channel is aspiring voice actor.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I'm about to go steal it from you right now. Speaking of that, did you know that uh Ross, did you know that someone stole the Tan and Grace from me on Twitch?
2: Like someone actually got it and does but doesn't use it. You mean stole the Ross Miriam. You asked did you know someone stole the Tan and Grace from you? No, referring from to me. me. Okay. Like, but you said yeah. you and now you confuse me. So, okay.
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah
2: see, yeah. you meant to say me, not meant to say the. the okay. So somebody it's has your, it's your somebody has that for a dr- handle, or not? Yeah, it's uh, your
0: director Travis. Oh, that makes sense. He told me he's keeping it until I win a trophy. Ah, okay. So I'm just I'm just never getting it. <laughs> Next, extra motivation. <laughs> yeah, not that I'd ever want it, but like I wonder if I could get him to delete it and then I could change mine to it because I've I've had mine since like longer than I've had that moniker. So like. It is funny because people are always like, are you the, the, the Tan and Grace? And I'm like, yeah, it's actually me. I well, remember, you can just
1: change it to that, the, the Tanning Grace.
0: That's actually, see, that's funny. There, there there was a few people for a little while that had like a joke about it and they were like, you know, changing their names to stupid stuff, but then they didn't realize that they get something like you have to wait like an extra six months to change it back or something. So they were just stuck with it. <laughs> for like <having> <laughs> Yeah, these guys got with like their, their dumb, stupid name, making fun of me or whatever. So it was pretty great. So, um, do you have anything in the pipeline ready for your stream or any cool decks that you got, you know, coming up that you're working on?
1: Uh, nothing that I don't think I've already shared. Just, uh, Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing too special to plug.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, say, uh, Ross, what are you in the work? What are you working on right now? I know you got a, is it a pioneer open coming up? Uh, is it next weekend?
2: Yeah, I am actually not playing regionals this weekend. I'm going to be out of town visiting some old friends, uh, and then I'll come back and, you know start getting ready for that ban announcement will happen and i'll go from there oh so
0: you'll visit those friends mm.
2: yeah but not your other friends
0: yep I, I see, see there are some friends
2: that i actually like and some friends i only pretend to like for money
0: yeah <laughs>
2: i'm starting I'm, I'm to figure this out so <laughs>
0: that's what, no, it's, it's completely fine but all right i think it's gonna be uh pretty much what we're gonna be covering in the show today was there anything else you wanted to talk about well, like we we've got a awesome. couple mailbag
2: questions. You want to handle these? Oh, oh
0: God! You know, I did the questions with Spike, and I forgot yeah. that we had like actual okay. mailbag questions. And we got two of them I here. Thought, I thought about it earlier. Go ahead and read it off Spike. You can totally answer these. Yeah.
2: So uh, from uh, Quinn O'Grady, how far can we reasonably ask decks to adapt for a format? When is a deck just something that meta needs to adapt to, and when is it quote broken and needs to be banned? Should it be measured by how far, what kind of number of cards decks needs to go, need to go in order to beat the best deck? Or should we be looking at what the win rates are versus the other decks and things like that? And uh, we sort of talked about this when we talked about, the, you know, what to ban out of the inverter deck, if anything. And uh, I've got to say that, like, it really, it's not an either or situation, right? You can use either. Uh, and, you know, I, I tried to make that argument for the Breach deck. I don't think we quite get there in terms of how much it's bending the metagame. But it, it's certainly a sign that a deck is unhealthy if a metagame needs to be, like, horrifically bent to beat it.
1: Yeah, I I think I think that's true. When, when you see that everybody is sideboarding heavily for a specific matchup, but that deck is still the best deck, even though other people are really, really skewing their sideboards towards it. I think that's usually when you have a problem um it's it's obviously there's no hard and fast answer to when a deck needs to be banned because every single deck has been different and every single deck you know everybody has different opinions on when slash if something needs to be banned but i I think one a, a very sure sign is if everybody is sideboarding heavily for it and even main decking for it and the other deck is still one of if not the best decks that's that's usually when it gets too good
0: yeah, when you get to situations like when Hogak was a deck for a little while and people had, you know, main deck ley lines and the deck was still winning over 50% of its... I mean, like, just get it out of here. That's a, That's a joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's unfair. Um, to answer one of the other parts when you talk about, like, how far do you have to go? If a deck is a high representation or a type of, uh, like, if there's a hate card that's good against the the two best decks like we've seen in Pioneer for a while, go full blast. Go, go as hard as you need to go. Make sure you're... And if you're trying to be competitive, obviously. If you're just playing a Giraffhanim, just, you know, do whatever. But um, if you're trying to win, then you definitely need to go as hard as you can in changing your deck or changing your sideboard, however it is, to, to beat those decks. And, like, we covered it on the show today. We talked about how, like, Gideon's Intervention and Rest in Peace were main deck in these decks. You know, they went as far as that. And, you know, that might be extreme versus, like, playing at FNM or playing at, like, a little uh, PTQ. They're they just PTQs now, right? They're just PTQs? Yeah. Yeah. It's something along those lines. But if you're playing at something competitive, like a PTQ at a Grand Prix, at a Grand Prix, Open, something like that, or, I mean, even as low as a PTQ maybe, like, you need to be prepared to beat those decks, and you need to do what's necessary. And it might be as far as main decking something like Rest in Peace, and it's going to suck real bad when your opponent puts a Mountain and, like, a 2-1 into play. On turn one, you're going to be like, well, I'm freaking dead, but
2: them's the breaks. Yeah. Okay. And last one from Isaac Bent Spirit Guide. There's been some mention online that instead of banning cards from Inverter, we could instead unban some of the cards in Pioneer. Would you guys be a fan of this? And personally, I think it's just too early to talk about unbanning cards. Um, You know, all the cards that are on the list are there for a very, you know, understandable reason and the format while theros beyond death has you know changed a lot with the introduction of heliod Thassa's oracle and underworld breach uh and uro you know i don't think that's enough of a significant jump in power level to start revisiting uh unbanning cards you know the the cards that have been unbanned in modern earth a lot of times cards that were initially on the ban list and probably unnecessarily so because the wizards took a much more heavy-handed approach when starting that format uh, and, that, you know, Modern has grown over several years, you know, a, almost a, almost a decade um, to be a much more powerful format than it was when it was first introduced. So um, now I, I just don't think you can start looking at unbanning cards, at least not for a couple of years.
1: I, I agree with Ross. I, I think that there isn't a card on the ban list that I think should be off of it right now.
0: Uh, what's what's the saying the kids have? I stand. When you're like, you, you, know, like, I, like I, you know, I agree with both of these. I will go a little bit further. I do think that you can maybe start having a conversation if other specific cards get banned. Like, if the card, Nick uh, like those Shrine to Nyx, gets banned, then you can maybe talk about unbanning one or two of the cards that got banned from the initial mono-green decks. Leyline, probably. Yeah, like, something like that. Like, even, um, what is it, Oath of Nyssa? Is
2: that, the, is that yeah. the,
0: yeah. Like, even maybe Oath of Nyssa at that point, because, like, you don't have Nykthos, it's not a like a free Pip for it that also finds Nykthos and like you're not you don't have like four color copycat anymore. And like we're seeing that single color decks are good in this format, and there's reasons to be single color but that's also because you have Nykthos. So like I'm not sure, you know, what exactly would happen there, but I do think you could at least approach the subject. Cause I think right now, way too soon. That makes sense. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So uh, Spike uh, if people wanted to hear more of your thoughts, you know, see you on Twitch, read some of your stuff, where could they go to do that?
1: On uh, twitch.tv slash aspiring spike, uh, twitter.com slash Mohan evert. And I also have a YouTube channel. It's also it's aspiring spike as well. I'm not very active on there, but I'm trying to be more so active. on Yo, there.
0: yo, get that YouTube money. Yeah, that's, I'm, gonna, that's I'm, cool. I'm literally about to type in. I'm, I'm going
2: to go subscribe as soon as we're, uh, we're done with this. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. Ross? Uh, uh, first thing, my Twitter is at Ross Hunnitz, that's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S, um, I do try to respond to people there, So if you just have questions about whatever, uh, you can get at me there, my articles go up on Star City Games on Tuesdays at 11am Eastern, um, So appreciate people who want to read my content there. And then I am the co-host of versus live with Corey Baumeister uh, twice a week. We're uh, on the star city games, Twitch channel, same place you go to, to watch open coverage, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 1pm to 4pm Eastern, playing, you know, whatever decks we think are relevant that week, but usually having a good time with it. If you watch live, you can ask questions and we will answer them live on air. Uh, If you can't watch live, the VODs do get archived on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Tuesday shows go up Friday and Thursday shows go up the following Monday. And uh, we're just playing a lot of modern this week. So Thursday show is going to focus more on the top decks. Tuesday show is going to have some more of the fringe decks. Uh, but really trying to get into the teeth of modern with regionals coming up.
0: Yeah, it might be the last chance you get to play some of these decks too. Depending on next Monday, we'll have to see if they survive the chopping block. Yeah. My my personal Twitter is at uh, the grace. Definitely get up me there. I'm I'm pretty active on there. I, I enjoy Twitter quite a, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Yeah, I did that. But uh, the Twitter for the cast itself is at Cast Pioneer. If you put in Pioneer Cast, it'll pop up too. But make sure you give us a follow on there. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on there. We do a lot of retweeting cool Pioneer deck lists. So if you tag us in your in your tweets, we should be doing some some pretty cool retweets for like a lot of cool like five O's or Hey, check out my deck list. This is really cool. Anybody want to help? A lot of cool discussions. There's one Twitter thread on there that's been going on for like two months. That were tagged in, you know, like it just seems like every now and then they start up like a new one, but it's the same people have the same conversation. It's Pretty cool. It's uh the Blue Eye Control like cabal, you know, you know, you know. I'm talking about like the they have like the Shadow Cabal, you know, all the all the Shadow players in modern have their own little chat. And stuff. It's like that. It's on Twitter. You could follow the whole way through. There's like YouTube videos, sideboarding guides, stuff. It's pretty cool. I've actually learned quite a bit listening to it myself. Um, you heard us mention the Discord on the show here today. If you wanted to join that, if you're not in it already, there's a link on that Twitter. It's in the pinned tweet. Um, otherwise, just, I guess, message me or Ross on something and we can easily find that for you. Um, our Discord is quite, quite active. We have over 600 people in it right now. Lots of cool different stuff going on in there. Um, we've had some new subjects come up in this. We have a pets and food section lately that I've I, I actively look at that one every day. I'm so excited. One of our newest uh, patrons, actually, and most active people in the Discord, is a chef, and he's been going off in the food section. One of them looked so good, I had to message the guys like, "Yo, give me, give me the recipe on this one. I'm, I'm, make, I'm making this at home." God, it looked great, Ross. I'm gonna have to give you the recipe too because it's, it's vegetarian and it looks amazing. What was it? Or you, um, it was like, ugh, God, give me like two seconds. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't, <laughs> I want to do it justice. I don't wanna, I don't wanna mess this up. So give me like half a second because it's like one of the last things. It's. Brussels sprouts, um... I'm in. Hold on. It's like Brussels sprouts, dates, uh, quinoa, and something else. And it's like all sautéed with like a sauce and stuff. It's it, it's amazing. I love quinoa, by the way. So I'm a big fan of anything with the, with, with the keyword in it. So that helps out a lot. And then you might have heard us, uh, us ask some questions and answer some questions on air that were from our Discord. There's only one way for you to get to do that, and that's if you're one of our patrons. So our Patreon is patreon.com slash uh, if you feel like supporting us monetarily, that's the best way to do it. Um, somebody's got to pay Brent to do the editing on the show, which reminds me, Ross, we need to pay Brent. And uh, this is me, Ross Shrugs. Come on, man. I need you to have a little, I need you to help me out a little bit here. Can't just be me carrying all the weight. It's fine. I'll do the, I'll do the finances. And 10 years from now, when you realize I siphoned off dozens and dozens of dollars. <laughs> you're gonna feel, you're gonna I feel will so hunt you down. <laughs> and stuff, so. You owe me $26. You owe me Yeah, Lots of cool stuff going on there. We've got a $2, $5, and a $10 tier. Um, The $5 and $10 tiers get access to the Patreon-specific channel on our Discord. Ross puts up a lot of his decks and sideboarding guides in there. I've been adding some decks and stuff in there sometimes as well when I'm playing. Um, We do have some other stuff in the works. Possibly coming in the future for the 10 tier. You know, we like to tease it a little bit before it comes out. But we've got a brand new token coming out with the uh, Pioneer Cast stuff as well. Ross- yep, Ross just showed it to me. He's physically got him in his hand. I haven't seen them in person yet, but those look great. Can't wait to have some of those in person. So... If you want to, you know, support us in any way, that's the uh, listening is the best way. The second best way is, is if, if you want to monetarily, we really appreciate it. And thank you to all the patrons that we do have already. But I want to say another big thank you here uh, for Aspiring Spike. Thanks for being on the show this week. It's been awesome. We'll definitely have to do this again sometime. This is great.
1: Yeah, this was great. Thank you for having me. I've been a fan of both of yours, and I'm, I'm glad to join the crew for a day.
0: Thank you so much. As, as awesome as it is, and it makes me kind of blush a little bit. We're actually fans of yours. I know you said you don't listen to every episode of the show. You do when you can't. We mention you, like, pretty often on this show because we're a big fan of your decks, and, like, it's always something cool and refreshing that's not just, well, here's more inverter and Lotus Breach, you know, kind of stuff. So keep doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. Ross, you got anything? Um, no, I think I'm good. Um, I think you, you summed it up quite nicely.
0: Yeah, Spike, one more time, pimp that uh that Twitch channel.
1: Twitch.tv slash AspiringSpike.
0: Yeah, everybody, make sure you go check that out. Uh, he streams a lot of time during the day. What's your normal uh, hour?
1: Eight 8.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, Monday through Friday, and the occasional weekend tournament, but not too often.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of your stream time because, you know, I, I get up pretty early in the morning, and by that time, I'm like, usually at work and i like to procrastinate so you help out a lot there yeah, i usually I, I have get, you open I the other the
1: procrastinating americans and the late night europeans usually
0: there you go per- perfect right right in your wheelhouse but everybody uh for ross for Siren spike and for myself thanks for listening this week we'll see y'all next week